All right. Uh, so this is the third part of our uh, series on on hell. Um, I hope it's been interesting. Uh, so the way we're, we'll hopefully wrap up this discussion tonight, but then next week we'll just have a time to talk about questions, right? Like any other questions that you have about the afterlife uh, or questions that come out of the specific subject since I haven't left as much time for discussion uh, with all this. Um, and I know some people turned in questions at the beginning, so I'll look at those at least to kind of have prepared stuff. But again, any other sort of questions that you can think about, about the afterlife? Um, can't promise that I'll have the perfect answer, but at least now after we talked about all this, we have a kind of a foundation to build on and think about. And so as we've been talking about hell, been focusing on kind of traditionally, there've been three views of kind of what it is or what the purpose is, that it's either torment or destruction or purification. And, you know, as I've tried to point out, we're always interpreting. And so we're reading everything through the lens of, usually we'll le read everything through the lens of one of those. That'll be the one we kind of lean towards. And, you know, for most of us, uh, I can't speak for all of you, but I assume that the, the, the idea that hell is eternal conscious torment is kind of our, what we all assumed, right? That was what we were taught. Um, and so I haven't really argued for that point as much because we kind of all know it already. Um, but I, I, partly I think we see some of the ways that that's, that's problematic and that's not the only view is, is part of what I'm trying to do with this. Um, so even last week we looked at the phrase eternal punishment, which shows up at the end of Matthew 25 and how actually you can understand that in all three views, right? The word eternal is actually not the best way to translate that word, or it's not the only way, right? That's referring to the, the age to come, not just that it goes on and on forever. And that punishment uh, is also a flexible kind of word. Oh, uh, well, so last week, one of the things we talked about was, right, the idea of justice and how that fits in here. And, right, God is above our understanding fully, right? We, there's mystery to God. And yet, we can also say that God is consistent, right? So God's goodness, God's justice can't be the opposite of how we understand God, goodness and justice, right? Otherwise, those words mean nothing. Uh, the other thing we talked about is when you look at the words that are used, um, generally the, the words have more the idea of correction, right? Uh, not revenge, right? That's not a term, an idea that's associated with God. Um, and so everything God does is more about discipline, right? Just like we would do with our children, that what's the purpose of it, right? It's to teach them, uh, correct them. Um, but again, when we use the word punishment, well, that can, we kind of use that in different ways, but hopefully, Right? Like with our own children, when we punish, it was for a purpose, to teach them to, to not make mistakes, not just because they made us mad. Right? So we shouldn't think of God as being less than us. Um, so tonight we're going to keep looking at these, these different concepts and continue to see how, the, how they can all fit together or where we find them all in Scripture. Um, so, but the first thing I want to do is a little bit of an exercise um, to kind of at least get us to look from a different perspective, right? Like I said, I assume that we all grew up or were taught with the eternal conscious torment view. And, and we have, there are verse, plenty of verses that that seems to be what it's saying, right? If you just look at them at face value. So we're going to look at some that have a, a very different perspective. Um, and then think about what, what we do with them, right? And even before I read all these, I'm just going to read about 
I have about 10 or 12 passages. I'm just going to read them all one after the other. And, and maybe before I read those to think about why do we, uh, when we hear verses like this, why do we qualify those and say, like, well, yes, but he means this. And, but then when there's harsh judgment passage, we just take those at face value, right, to see the difference of how we're treating them. So I'm just going to read all these and um, see what your reaction is after I've read them all. So Romans 5.18. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one's man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. Romans 11.32. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. In, in John 12.32, Jesus says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Also in John 3.17, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 4-6, God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Finally, 1 Timothy 4, 10. For to this end we toil and struggle, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. All right, so uh, immediate reactions to just hearing all those together. What themes or ideas stood out? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of them use the word all. That's, uh, well, I was going to say, and everything has a certain degree of organization and purpose. Uh, there, there's nothing that's just kind of uh, ad hoc. It's all it's all designed toward a specific purpose, which is uh, to to reach out to us and offer us salvation. And I found it interesting in those first few you read. My, I was beginning to think this is kind of like. Uh, uh, one of the laws of physics where every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so in those first few that you read, we had a certain action over here that then God had an equal and opposite reaction to our previous bad action. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but then as you read all, like I say, you begin to pick up on the order of things and the purpose and, and the overlying purpose that all of these things had. Is that what you're yeah, I think so. I mean, there's not like a right answer here. 
you know, I just, uh, it wasn't until recently that I kind of saw these all, you know, putting all these together and seeing uh, how common this was. But yeah, that equal opposite reaction, right? Paul very often will contrast Adam and Christ. And mm -hmm. we all know that, yeah, we all die in Adam or we're all, uh, that's all condemned us. But then we say, we don't think of it going the other way. And of course, like, we, as I kind of said before, we could go into the context of all of these and say, well, you know, when he says all, does all mean all or not? You know, it's, again, you know, that's, that's a interpretive interpretation that we're doing, right? We're, we're doing some work there. <clears throat> and again, I'm not saying, my point is not, so this proves the universalist view, right? Um, you could do a very similar exercise with other views of what hell is about the, the torment or the destruction, right? Uh, it, finding the truth is more than just piling up an, a bunch of verses and see, well, who ends up with the most? Right, we've got to a little deeper. Well, and, and you can, and every one of these is just like anything else. There's always a yeah, but that goes with it. <laughs> yeah, right. And so that's that's right. And so, but when we read the the harsh verses we also want to see the yeah but there as well right that we're always saying okay well, let's look at all of this in context right um and so if we're if we're making sense of this we want to reflect on god right god's nature and god's desires and how we respond to them uh, so i want to talk about a couple of the verses that i read in here a little more specifically um with the big the question in my heading is does god get what god wants Right, because First Timothy 2 and Second Peter 3 say that God wants all people to be saved and doesn't want anyone to perish, right? Um, and so, does God get what God wants? God wants everybody saved, so does everybody get saved? You know, it depends on how you understand God, right? Some people think that to be God means you are totally in control of everything and you make things happen the exact way you want them to happen. Um, and if that's your view, right, that, that you really focusing hard on God's sovereignty, God's power, God being in control. If that's the case, then the answer should be easy, right? Well, God wants everyone to be saved, then God would save everyone. Uh, that's the Calvinist view. They, they, they're the ones that tend to be more about God's sovereignty as primary. Um, and yet, they usually, they don't go that direction. Uh, I won't get into all the, the, the doctrine or the, their beliefs about why. But um, I think we would see that that's that's not it's not that simple right um so god wants all people to be saved so why don't they right um i think of the primary attribute of god as being love right that's something i've emphasized a lot um so does love when we love someone do we always do we do they always do what we want them to do can we always force them to do what we want them to do can love control people right love gives freedom Right now, we hopefully give guidelines. Right, think about your kids again. Uh, you know, you can't force them to do. You know, you you can't fully control them. Right, you can teach them things. You can give them instruction. You can give guidelines. You can have discipline for when they don't follow those guidelines. But ultimately, they're their own people. Right, especially as they as they grow up, um, they're free. And that's when you love somebody. Um, you, you give them freedom. And so <clears throat> I think that's how we understand what God has done with us, right? We believe that God has given us the freedom to make our choices. And God has given us plenty to show us what are the better choices. Uh, but because God loves us, first and foremost, God doesn't 
enforce that, right? Or doesn't control us in that way. We're not robots. Um, and so that, I think that continues into how we think about hell, right? That, that God uh, is giving us the freedom to, to put ourselves there if we want, right? Um, and so why would people be stuck in hell? It's because it's we choose it, right? And so I've got a couple of quotes here. You can see them on the handout from C.S. Lewis that I think explain this well, right? He says in, uh, from The Problem of Pain that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded. And then from The Great Divorce that we're reading, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Right? So uh, from that perspective, you know, I love the way that Lewis puts that in both those quotes. It's not that God is sending people to hell. It's that we're putting ourselves there by our own choices. And God is trying to pull us out of it. Right? Uh, but we inflict it on ourselves. And, you know, if you're in our, in our book club, looking at it, right? It's just people are stuck. There's something in, in the great divorce, there's some sin or, or, or hang up problem they can't let go of. And that's, they're putting themselves through hell, right? They, they could get out if they wanted, but you know, they, they just can't let go of something and that's uh, keeping them in that state. Right? But again, if God um, gives us freedom, then right, God can't force us to, to be in heaven as good as that would be for us, right? We have to want it. Um, otherwise, that's, that's actually not that good of God either to force something on someone, right? So God is trying to get us to see God doesn't force it. Uh, all right, uh, so now, but we're thinking about freedom, right? So this is, if we really believe in freedom, there has to be the, the choice to reject God. Um, so that leads into another question of, Okay, well, how free are we really, right? It depends on how you're defining freedom, right? Now, I don't go in for the idea that, like, we're talking about whether or not people are predestined to heaven or hell. That's, that's an idea I reject. But, you know, to say we have free will, well, how free are we, right, as, as agents in the world? Like I said, it depends on how you define freedom. Now, in the modern world, uh, the way that we tend to define freedom is by having more choices, right? The more choices that you're able to make, the more free you are. So if I go to the store and they have 20 kinds of bread, I am more free than if you went to the store and they only had two, right? And more choices are always better, um, which, you know, I don't know about your experience, that actually <laughs> stresses me out. It's like, okay, which bread do I want? Uh, it might be better if there weren't so many. <laughs> um, but that's, that's just how we, especially in, in 21st century America, this is our assumption that, that more choices mean you're more free. Um, but that's actually a newer idea behind what freedom is. Uh, if you go back to kind of classical authors, uh, and I would say this includes uh, you know, Christian Jewish authors and outside of it, freedom, true freedom means you're free to choose the good. Right, so uh, you you can make the good choice if you're actually free, um, and so the more free you are, there actually become fewer choices, right? Because you don't have to choose between all these different things. The more free you are, you know what the one good choice is, and you can just focus on that. Right? Think about Jesus. Jesus was truly free. 
more free than any of us are. And yet I don't think he had a hard time choosing to be, be faithful, right? It was simple to him because he knew God and knew what God wanted him to do. He was free. And so he could just choose the right thing. Uh, truth is freedom and sin is slavery, right? Jesus himself says that in John 8, the truth will set you free. Um, and so the flip, the inverse of that, right, is that in this age, all of us, we're not true, fully free, not truly. Um, we're still, so that means we're somewhat ignorant, right? Uh, we're, we're stuck in this, which again, Jesus, even on the cross, he points towards this, right? As he's being crucified, being killed, the worst thing that human beings have really ever done, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that's Luke 23. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them, even though they fully understand this free choice that they are making to crucify me, right? Uh, Jesus can see their, their ignorance. In fact, Peter in Acts 3 in a sermon picks up the same idea, right? He's talking to the same people in Jerusalem. He says, you acted in ignorance, right? And so the worst thing that humans did, they could still see that there was a level of, of ignorance there, um, it changes how we view their, their freedom and, and their understanding. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not culpable or responsible in any way, right? But I think Jesus and God can see the way that um, sin makes us all less free than we should be. And, and even though we're set free in Christ, we still struggle with that sometimes to choose the good. Well, and I wonder, you know, thinking about that, you're right as we as we if we get away from and the way that we learn how to work away from sin is is the amount of time that we spend in the scriptures or in in studies such as this and that sort of thing and so this makes us this enhances our freedom by helping us know and understand what the right choices are is that would mm -hmm. that be a fair yeah. way of looking at it and what yeah, we're doing right. here and why this is important. The better, the more you understand, the more you come to the truth, there are less options you're really going to have, right? Because it's not that hard. Another way to think of it, right? Imagine that you're in the desert and you're dying of thirst and you find a fresh spring, right? Now you could freely choose to refuse to drink that water. And right, is that freedom? Uh, to me, that sounds more like insanity, right? To not choose a clear good is not freedom. That's, that's craziness. And so when we fully see the goodness and love of God, and we freely reject it, right? It, I don't know. Um, is that really freedom either, right? Because um, we hopefully we, we see God here in different ways. But um, on the other side, it's going to be a lot more clear. Um, so how can people see God and God's fullness, God's love fully? and still want to say, you know what, no thanks, right? Maybe if you are so hung up on your something, right? Your hangups, your sins, uh, it's kind of blinds you. Uh, it may not, right? And so we think about this, right? The, the cleansing fire of God, right? Hebrews 12 talks about that, that God is a consuming fire. But, uh, okay, so who or what is consumed by this fire of God? Right? Does it mean that sinful people are, are consumed either eternally, which goes against the idea of what consumed means, or they're instantly consumed by God? Or is it the sin of 
the people that's that's consumed by God's fire. Um, so some of them may just be about perspective, right? What God is trying to do, which uh, I've tried to emphasize last last week, is about corrective discipline. That's what God's trying to do, and how we experience it. Those may not line up, right? We may experience God's corrective discipline as torture, right? Again, I keep going back to to kids. Um, George may describe when he, if he loses video game privileges, uh, he would describe that as torture. But I would say, actually, my goal is to try and teach him a lesson. I'm not just trying to make him suffer because, in fact, I like playing video games with him. <laughs> right. So I would love for him to be able to enjoy this. But he, I'm trying to get him to learn something. Right. So it's it's maybe it's the same thing. It's about how you're looking at it. We aren't seeing it the same way that God is. Um, and so along with that, maybe. Uh, there's some who have thought that the same priory presence of God, it's the same presence, it's just experienced as love and beauty or as punishment, right? And so in that sense, hell is not the absence of God, it's hell is the presence of God for those who don't want God, um, right? Uh, Song of Songs famously in chapter 8 talks about love as like uh, a fire, uh, there's Someone named John of the Cross talked about God as the living flame of love, right? That, that passion of God. Um, when you're in tune with it, it's beautiful. I mean, right? Fi that's, that's, fire is a great image, right? Because fire, is it bad or good? Well, depends on what you want it for, right? It is good and necessary. It gives us heat and light and life. But, you know, if you're not prepared for it and mishandling it, it's not going to be a good thing, right? Um, and so things like forgiveness, things like true unconditional love may not be appealing to people if, if they don't want it, if they're unwilling to, to change, to really receive it. Uh, and so maybe that's what people are really experiencing when, when Jesus and so many others talk about this, this fire that's coming. It's, you know, you're, you're meeting God. It's just you're rejecting the goodness, and it feels like torture to you. Or, or God is trying to, to show you something better, and you're refusing it. I think this actually makes sense of one of the very images of, of, of judgment and Jesus' parables. He talks a lot about uh, people at the end when they've, they've made a bad choice. There's a gnashing of teeth or grinding of teeth, right? Um, we often think of that as pain, right? That they're suffering in pain. And, and again, there's some people who have said, oh, yeah, it's, it's so bad that you know, you're in this eternal pain, and when your teeth wear down from grinding them, God will give you new teeth, and you'll grind those down. I mean, this is, this is a real view. I'm not making this up, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, grinding your teeth like this is, is not really pain. It's, it's actually rebellious anger, right? It's, when, it's like you're mad at somebody. Uh, and you see that in Acts chapter 7, when all the, the, the Jewish authorities are mad at Stephen, who's preaching. It says they're gnashing their teeth at him, right? Stephen is not causing them torment. They're mad at him, and they're rejecting his, his good news. Um, and so, right, that image that Jesus commonly uses is about uh, people rejecting stubbornly, even as God is trying to, to draw them in. Right? We do need, as I mentioned last week, we talked about how there has to be justice at the end, right? Um, it would not be just for God to just say, you know what, everybody's coming in. I don't really care about what you did. Um, that doesn't matter. Um, and so this, even this view of hell is, is about, it, it's saying that oppression and injustice aren't just ignored. 
right? And, and it gets a little tricky, right? As I emphasize, God doesn't take revenge in that violent way of, uh, you know, you did this to me, so I got to hit you back. But it does talk about, like in Romans 12, God will repay, right? And that's, again, it's, it's a tricky balancing act to not go too far, uh, right? That it's not violently just, you did this to me, so I'm going to do worse to you. But there is a sense in which things need to be made right. Again, I'm thinking about like true injustice and oppression has happened throughout history, of, especially from people with power to those who are, are marginalized. Um, I think God's judgment and justice at the end needs to speak to that and do something to, to make that right. Again, we tend to go overboard and, and want violent revenge, and I don't think we should um, put that on God. But we should want God to do something. And so that's a way to understand this. Um, right? In that same verse in Romans 12, uh, where it talks about God repaying, uh, Paul at the end says, don't overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. Right? And if we're told to do that, then I think we should expect that God is going to do that too. Um, and so the way that God works to overcome evil is through good. Right? Same for him as it is for us. Um, you know, and so you think of someone, you know, one of the, 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 anytime you start talking about this purification idea with hell, Hitler always comes up, right? Well, what about Hitler? Um, I mean, what do you think it would take for Hitler to be purged or transformed, right? That's not going to be a quick or easy process or pleasant, right? It, <laughs> uh, it hurts like hell, I assume, right? And I, I'd use that uh, literally. And so that's what we're talking about here it's not just this easy out for people. It's, uh, there, are, there are real consequences. And in fact, this idea of, of cleansing, it's, it's not just for the bad people. Uh, we all kind of need that too, right? Yes, and our sins are dealt with. God is not holding those against us. And yet, none of us really get fully transformed in this life into the image of Christ. And so there are plenty of places where it talks about we're all going to need some sort of cleansing. Uh, look at Mark. Mark chapter 9 is a good example of this. Right, this is one of those passages where Jesus talks about uh, Gehenna, the, the term that we translate as hell. Right? Um, but he says something interesting at the end of this, this conversation. Uh, Mark 9, verses 49 and 50. I know we haven't been looking at, I've been alluding to a lot of Bible verses, but we haven't been looking at them specifically. So in Mark 9, 49 and 50, all right, I'm just saying, you know, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It's better to have uh, one eye in the kingdom of God than two and be thrown into hell or Gehenna. But then he says in verse 49, for everyone, everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can it uh, be salty again? How can you restore its saltiness? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. All right, everyone's going to be salted with fire. Um, and that's a good thing, Right. It's, it's this image of purification. We're all going to need to be purified somehow. So better to do it now when you can instead of have it done to you. And that's consistent with other ideas. First Peter 4 talks about, uh, he's talking about suffering. He's saying, you know, judgment is starting with us now for the family of believers, um, right? That we're experiencing some of this already instead of waiting for it. We're already being purified. And then as we already looked at in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, this, this fire at the end, it's, it's going to test our work, right? Whether we did things out of love or, or not. And he says, you know, 
you'll still be saved, but that you're going to experience that some sort of fire there, right? But it's about testing us. So the point is, grow in Christ-likeness now, right? There is still a reason to, to change and evangelize and spread the good news um, so your faults don't have to be burned out later. And I think that's the message. And again, uh, the image from The Great Divorce is they say that you know, the, this hell place that people are in, if you choose heaven afterwards, then that was just purgatory. That was, that was working these things out for you. Um, so again, that's, that's one way to understand what, what this hellfire is, is trying to do. And it's really about, for me, it's about the purpose of it. And that seems to give a purpose that is, that is just, and it actually is still consistent with, with scripture. All right, so that was a lot. Any uh, questions or, or comments on that? I do. Yeah. Okay, you, you made the reference to Hitler, and I always think of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer committed those heinous crimes, and then, mm -hmm. you know, if, if the information is correct, that then he got baptized in prison, you know, before yeah. he was killed. And I just think, you know, man, it's just so hard to think about him being up there for what yeah. he did, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and again, that's, but that's speaking more to our kind of human idea of fairness and less to God's sense of mercy, right? And, and again, what sort of, uh, I don't know what word to use, but, you know, is there some way in which, you know, in the next life, he's going to have to make that right with people, right? What is that going to look like? I don't, I don't know, but uh, it gets into how we understand forgiveness, that, that true forgiveness and justice doesn't just ignore, you know, the fact that he killed people, right? It's, it's coming to terms with that, but knowing that, through Christ, that doesn't have to define us anymore. So yeah, that's, that's a good example in this life, even the way that it's hard to forgive, want people to receive that forgiveness, right? We want them to just suffer because we think that's justice and it may not be. Well, but sometimes it's, it's when, when we don't forgive someone, it's us that suffers, not the, the other person yeah. oftentimes. And when we talk about things like this, I keep having to go back to the parable of the workers where, you know, mm -hmm. there some of them only work part of the day and they still got the same pay. So, you know, yeah. that just doesn't seem fair and right, but that's not, that it's not our call. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think that parable is really, you know, I think sometimes we like to discount that parable and not talk much about it, but I think that parable has a lot of application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many of Jesus parables, he's it's for people that are already in, right. Which now is us. Uh, he's trying to get them to rethink, like, are you sure that you're, you're it? Are you sure that you've got it all right? You know, again, I, I like it's to me, I think at the end of the parable, the, the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. It's the older brother. He's the one that doesn't come into the party, yeah. he, but it's because he's choosing to, right? The father is still going out to him, trying to draw him in, but he's staying out, right? That's the, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. He's locking himself out of, of this. Yeah. And so, yeah, so who, suffer, uh, who suffers in the end? He yeah. suffers because he misses the party. He goes off sulking and, 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 and is miserable. Yeah, and he is really choosing that. The father doesn't like pull him physically, pull him into the party because even if he did, he wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, right? he wants him to want to be there, mm -hmm. and, and he's trying to do everything he can to communicate why he should want to be there. But it's still, it's still his choice. But again, I would say, yeah, uh, he's missing something, right? He's he's ignorant of uh, his his own hangups and stubbornness 
are actually getting in the way of him really being free to choose the good thing. Yeah. That's how I think we can understand um, how people could be stuck in that, that place. <clears throat> I wasn't sure. I know I had a lot of material for tonight. Um, and so we're going to stop there. And next week, we're going to just look at Revelation for a little bit because I think it gives us a good test case to see how all these ideas are playing out and in some sense are, are together, sort of in tension, right? That it's not just saying like, well, here's it. This is the one right view. You can see all of them there. Um, but the point is we tend to just think there's only one, but we can see all of it. And so in some sense, you know, we're going to be left with some mystery of how we understand this. But, uh, and this is where I was going to go at the end of that, as we'll see. But, you know, I think hope is an important thing that um, it's not a bad thing to hope that God is going to make things right in the end, right? Now, I'm not, I don't want to be presumptive and say God has to do this uh, like some would, but that's not a bad thing, right? Christianity calls us more towards desiring hope than desiring some sort of violent retribution. Um, if that's what we're wanting, then I think we're less formed in the image of Christ who saves us and gives us mercy and hope than, than we should be. So we'll pick that up a little bit next week. And after that, we'll talk about uh, any other questions that you have. So through this week, if you think of others, write those down. Uh, you can give them to me ahead of time, uh, which gives me more time to prepare, but I like, I've got some others. And uh, we'll either go, either we'll finish next week. I know some of the other classes are finishing next week, or we can go another week if we want to. It's kind of up to us because time is meaningless and <laughs> we want.